Welcome back to the Team Talk with Tom and Jack. I'm Tom. And I'm Jack. And this is episode four. It is indeed. We host this podcast to inspire coaches, teachers and parents in order to help improve children's well-being together. This week, we welcome our guest, Paul Thornley, actor, cricket enthusiast and dad. We discuss a variety of topics, including the benefits of therapy, the life lessons he's learned through sport and the role of Ron Weasley. We hope you enjoy it too. Paul, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on, mate. It's um, lovely to be in your kitchen. <laughs> hey. um, we know Paul, don't we, from various things uh, around where we live. We've had the pleasure of playing cricket with Paul. Uh, and Paul, you've had a pretty, uh, you know, amazing career now in, in, in acting and, and drama and that. So we're going to touch on that, hopefully, at some point in the episode, as well as, uh, as, well as our sporting experiences and whatnot. So we'll kick it off, uh, as, as we tend to do, with what was your first memory of sport as a child? Uh, I think my initial memories of sport were not getting picked. Right. That was, uh, I've got quite vivid memories of being pretty poor at football, which I played a game of football for the first time in 15 years on New Year's Eve, and uh, I've still got that skill set of being <laughs> very, very bad. Uh, nothing's changed. Uh, and being quite bad at quite slow running for buses I was always quite a long way behind everyone else uh, yeah it was a bit of a struggle initially sport yeah as, as, as it is for quite a few people isn't it have you got any positive that shine out as like that was a moment that in my childhood changed your perspective on sport perhaps um, I think wandering into Bushy Park in, in Hampton Hill and there was junior cricket taking place and we they were on the where we were going to play football everyone we were a bit annoyed that they were they'd taken over our football space so but anyway we joined in and I think I probably hit a ball mm. and went oh I like this <laughs> I, I think I might be able to do this yeah and I definitely remember that being a, a massive moment in my childhood going oh there's something that I can I'm alright at mm. that's massive yeah no that is huge that is huge and it is, that's something obviously that you've carried on kind of the whole way through how, how important was that for you sort of in your sort of formative sort of teenage years to have a thing that you were passionate about I was yeah it was, I became utterly obsessed with it I played at school I played uh, for Hampton Hill Cricket Club in as many levels as possible, I, you know, I've, I think I probably played most days in some description, or in my friend's garden with all of his brothers, or it definitely was my obsession for from nine till fourteen, and then you know other factors came into play. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly those five years, it was quite irritating because if you do have a hobby as a child, then every single birthday and Christmas present is all then yeah. related to that subject. Yeah. So i you know, you think, oh, brilliant, that's another cricket book. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't necessarily interested in reading about cricket. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to play it. So there's, 
Oh, cool. Probably still a huge pile of unread cricket books. There's a very fine line, isn't there, between in, a, yeah, in a, the loft. A, a 12-year-old guy's to cricket as opposed to a new bat. Yeah, okay. yeah, new yeah. bat, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Atherton's biography of yeah. something or other in Lesso. 1987. Lesso. Lesso. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think that's a shared interest, isn't there, with cricket. I think... Um, Similarly, we all played it at a youth level and really enjoyed it. Have you got any standout memories from when you played youth cricket that you go when you you know when you really got into it and you were playing in those sort of nine to 15, fourteen years? Yeah. Any moments that are like yeah? And but our, our big, the big there was always the sort of posh clubs where all the all the fancy kids went and they were always going to play for Middlesex. Who got two new bats for Christmas? Yeah, who got two new bats for Christmas? Probably read through the cricket books, uh, and we, we, you know, those big games against Sunbury, for instance, and you know, we won the league and went through to the the regional fight, which felt like the most important and exciting thing in the world. And mm. you know, I've got a friend who was pretty hopeless, and there was a uh, an England opening bowler called Richard Johnson, who was the fastest bowler we ever played against. And basically, he was trying to get out of the way, and it hit his bat and went for six. He claims he hooked Richard Johnson. It was absolute nonsense. But he was just trying to get out of the way, and he was bowling really fast. So things like that, I have you know massive memories of, and uh, and trying to I opened the batting with a, another bloke, and Richard hit him in the ribs. And I just saw him, his eyes welling up with tears. I thought, you can't, you, you can't cry, you know, if you're opening the batting. You can't. I think that's what I said to him because it was the final, <laughs> and he was very brave after that. <laughs> Brilliant. Ah, uh, well, it is a. I mean, in in particular, batting in cricket, you know, that that, that is a real, it is a real, you know, not quite gladiatorial, but. You know, it is really intense, that whole situation. Batsman, bowler, fast pace, you know. It is a small thing coming at you at the pace of a car. You know, it's still going to hurt. So that's a really interesting um, thing to get your head around, especially for, for young sportsmen, women, um, overcoming those obstacles, the perseverance that is required. You know, these are real big life skills going forward. Um, so we're going to slightly change gears now and talk about acting, because obviously mm -hmm. that is what a lot of people know you for. Um, so your acting career itself um, sounds like it actually came from a bit of a uh, just sort of bring along young Paul situation with your with it with your mum. Yeah, my mum was very into amateur dramatics and was part of a group at Kingston University, and they were all I don't know university age, so they had they didn't have any kids. So if ever they were doing a show that required a child, I got drafted in. Which I thought, and I loved it. So I, you know, played various paper boys and um, things in shows with my mum, and you know that became something I loved. And I joined the youth theatre and really, really enjoyed being part of that. You know, it's very much the same as sport, and you know, being part of a team. I got asked to do a one-man show once. I couldn't imagine anything worse. It's not. It's not what you do it for, is it? Mm. It's like you can't play cricket on your own. Um, so then I, you know, went off to um, did my A levels, and it just became clear that I was uh, struggling to find other things to do 
um, other than that, it seemed to be that's where my gifts lay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was passionate about. So then someone said, well, I don't audition for drama school. So I auditioned for drama school and got into a couple and then decided to go to, to Guildford to train in musical theatre because someone said, listen, you know, the more you can do, the more chance you've got of getting a job. Um, so did a bit of singing and dancing, met some great people who I'm still friends with now and thought, well, I'll just keep going and see if I can earn a living. And didn't earn much of a living for quite a long time. Um, had to do various, you know, various different jobs and do some pretty poor acting work, which I'm quite glad wasn't filmed. <laughs> like that, it wasn't the age of uh, Instagram. Um, and But, you know, still going, which is not bad after 25 years. I mean, it's uh, almost famously hard to get yourself, you know, sort of off the ground and, and all that sort of thing with, with, with acting. That's one of those careers that is almost cliched for how hard it is for, you know, struggling actor kind of situation. Yeah. Um, what, what was it that helped you to persevere through the amount of no's and the amount of, you know, setbacks and low paid situations and things weren't particularly pretty from the get go? What helped? I, I think it's, even if you're not able to do it, if you're not in a position to do it, at least knowing what you'd like to do, you know, I feel really, I feel really sad for people, you know, who leave college and haven't got that thing that to be able to, to cling on to, that, that goal to, to aim for. Because mm. even if you're not doing it, at least you know, it gives you something to strive towards. And at least, as an actor, you have that all the time. Mm. You know, you're, you're constantly trying to just just get up the ladder a little bit, you know, just, and you have to deal with rejection all the time. I, and that's okay. Mm. You know, I, I think that's probably quite healthy in mm. some ways. Um, I t- took my daughter to an audition. She wanted to audition for a show once. And for Matilda, and I said, are you sure you want to do this? And she went, yep. And she went to the audition and then they did the dance. And then they said, okay, you can go now. And she cried all the way home and went, why would anyone want to do that for a job? And then, you know, a couple of days later, a friend of mine phoned up and said, they're looking for someone to, to be in this film. They're looking for a, a 10 year old girl. I said, listen, she's had a very bruising experience a couple of days ago. She might, uh, I'll ask her. Mm-hmm. And I said, you look, they're looking for this little girl. And she went, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Went, but what about two days ago when you said, it's the worst thing ever? Yeah. And I thought, oh no, you've got the bug. That's, mm, that's, that's a, it. That's a bad sign. It's like being <laughs> smashed in the face with a spade yeah. and then going, that really, really hurt. Do it again. <laughs> Just, it might not hurt as much next time. But it definitely, I've definitely got a, a numb face now from being hit in the face with a spade because mm. it doesn't hurt as much now. I just, someone said to me once, uh, if you don't get a job, it's not because you weren't any good, it's because they made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Which 
it's quite nice to say to yourself, yeah. you know, if there's a job that you really want and you don't get, mm. that um, it's not your fault, it's them. Mm. <laughs> no, that's a freeing concept. It's not always true. Yeah, it's but, very uh, interesting because <laughs> we, we spoke about this really briefly before. So you and I, um, when it comes to cricket, we're both, um, both spinners. Yeah. And something that we rely heavily on is, uh, so for anyone who's not um, very interested in cricket, doesn't know, a spinner's bowl slower, don't we? And we rely on the fielders as much as we do our own bowling. And it's a similar concept, isn't it? You feel like you've gone into that audition, you've done, or you've bowled, you've done everything you can, uh, and then someone drops your catch. And it's just some, you know, it's one of those things you try so hard and it's out of your control. Do you think dealing, having those experiences in sport where you feel like I've given my all, I, I, you know, I've, done, I've gone out there, I've given 100% effort, and then it's out of your control. Do you feel like there were parallels between that's that you know that element of sport and when it came to sort of you know being in auditions and being in your early years uh, yeah I've not really I've not really thought about that before I definitely think dealing you know de- sport is a great way of dealing with failure yeah um, and you know failure is is a very very important and useful thing to to be to have to deal with because yeah. we have to deal with it throughout our lives from different thing different areas um but and control is an interesting, you know, the the appearance of of control, because um, you definitely can't do that within a team. You can't control your whole team, and so well, you can't control your workplace and relationships within yeah. your workplace. So oh, I'd never really thought about that. It's, yeah, it's interesting. So you reckon there are some parallels that you have developed within sport that you've then taken into acting because yeah yeah so must you must have done yeah certainly the concept of you know working as a team Mm. um you know particularly in in theater the nature of working as as an ensemble um filming slightly different because it's it's much more fractured and you don't necessarily meet the majority of the cast but when you're trying to create a, a piece of theatre with people, you know you're you're in control of the focus as a team. Mm. You know you can't have someone doing some weird stuff at the back, yeah, which has got nothing to do with you. Yeah, you know in a in a film, the editor and the director can control the focus of the film, but um, it's definitely. There's no greater feeling of being with a big group of people on a stage creating, you know, when you know you've got people by the short and curvies. No, that's that's, that's really useful. Um, And I think I was was listening to something the other day about, I think it was a director who said something along the lines of the the sort of like storming and forming part of getting all the actors together you know sort of the the preparation before going on stage is kind of the bit that the actors and everyone really actually enjoys the most it's sort of like once you then get on stage it's kind of like the best bit's almost done or do you feel like actually no going on stage as well and repeating it and trying to re rekindle that there's fire a, you had there's definitely a, a joy with you know trying to maintain something and, and trying to find new things through performance I do enjoy that but yeah making the brew in the rehearsal room mm. and being with the because as soon as you've opened the show that's the everyone buggers off you know the creative team yeah. which is always a bit of a sadness because you've you've got 
like a big family and then all the grown-ups leave <laughs> you to it <laughs> which you know sometimes is great <laughs> I'm not going to lie sometimes the grown-ups can be a pain in the bum but um, with Harry Potter I loved the creative team so much and I've you know they were probably one of the most creative experiences in my life which was a big surprise mm. you know joining a huge franchise I thought it would be much more regimented but it wasn't mm. so yeah do you want to talk us through the process of how that all came to be and what it was like to I presume meet JK Rowling and things yeah. like that so yeah so how, how did it all start um well uh, I just got a phone call saying can you come and do this workshop it's top secret and I went and went to this office and there was a, a thing and it said something about trains and I I said what what is it and they went it's Harry Potter I went oh right I didn't know much about Harry Potter right I'd sort of read a couple of the books, seen a couple of the films, and I went, what part am I reading? And they went, Ron. And I thought, yeah, that's weird. I went, I'm, I'm really old, though. <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite understand why. And they went, just read it. Anyway, I called my agent and went, it's Harry Potter. And she went, all right, okay. And then there was another workshop when they were just trying stuff out and... And then they did another workshop and then there were all different people and I was still there. It's a bit how like, a, it's a bit like being an actor, I think. I've just sort of kept on coming back and I'm still going and other people have fallen by the wayside. So I sort of got the job just by sticking around, I think. And then the last workshop we did, we performed it in front of JK Rowling, which is the first time that I met her. And then the director sneakily came up to me at the end and went, "You're going to do this, aren't you?" And I went, "Yeah, of course I am." <laughs> yeah, if you get you know if you get offered an opportunity like that to do a you know a brand new show, um, especially something with as global interest as Harry Potter, then you're going to do it. So I, yeah, it was. Um, That's the coffee machine every time. <laughs> it does this. This happened twice now, hasn't it? Delicious oh, coffee, yeah. though. It is good, good coffee. coffee. It's great I mean, coffee. I think if you ask me, take away the coffee machine, you lose the noise in the coffee, I'd probably say no. <laughs> <laughs> probably say no, it's worth it for the coffee. What is it doing? It's, it's just sort of like filtering out. It's just a feature right. of the podcast now. Yeah, yeah every single podcast has been interrupted yeah. in some way by the coffee And that machine. was the, I won't, I won't name drop a coffee brand, but that was our sponsored coffee break there <laughs> from XYZ Coffee Brand. <laughs> there we are. Um, so, yeah, f I think four workshops I did before I started rehearsals. Right. Um, did, did you, coming back to the start, I know we were talking about one of your earliest memories of sport was to do with the whole not being picked. Mm -hmm. Did you feel there was an element of, because there is a sort of, the more workshops you do, the less people there are. And, you know, people get told where, you know, thank you, but no thank you, et cetera, et cetera. Did you find there were any parallels between that whole like, oh, will I get picked? Well, I won't get picked with that sort of like, we'll have you on our team. We won't have you on our team when you were younger in sport. Do you feel like there's an element of that? Uh, yes. I mean, initially when I first started out, I don't know whether you've ever seen the film of Chorus Line. 
I haven't. Um, you know, you you go to an audition, particularly for for musicals, and you you do a a dance audition, and then they go right, you 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 stay, you you know, you come and sing your song. Uh, mercifully, mm. that only happened at the very beginning right. of my career of going to auditions like that, which is really hard work. You know, there, there are times. You know, if you're going to be humiliated, it's nice to be humiliated in the, the comfort of your own home. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily in a room full of your peers. Mm. This, uh, you know, as I said, you know, not getting a job, it's because they made a terrible mistake. But uh, mercifully, that doesn't happen. Right. Um, I, I think it probably does still happen for, for younger people. Um, but I don't have to do that as much anymore. Yeah. Cool. Oh, cool. Cool. I think we'll um, we'll head on out to America now because mm-hmm. you've not only done the production here in England, yeah. You then went out to America to do it Broadway, um, and I I glean that you've tried to hold on to cricket as much as you can, but I think softball's as close as it can get out there. I did. I got asked to go with the show to go and open it in America, and of course you're going to do that. Um, but I'm 45 now I'm trying to cling on to a bit of cricket but I'm not sure I did play one game this summer I was rubbish <laughs> um, so I think it's me and all the old boys now um, but I did try and search out some cricket and there, there is cricket available in New York okay. um, if you move out a little bit but uh, I discovered that there's the thing called the Broadway Show League, which has been running for many, many years in Central Park and involves all the different Broadway shows. So I said, right, we need to get a Harry Potter team. And most of the team was made up of British people who had no idea of the rules. And I thought it's just going to be like rounders. It's much more complex than rounders. And uh, as we found out to our detriment when our first game, it was called a mercy rule. When if you're losing by a big enough margin, big enough margin they go, do you know what, guys? We're just going to stop it now. Because mm. it was getting embarrassing. Uh, and we made the New York Post as the least successful team in Broadway show league history. <laughs> so that's... That's a badge of honour. <laughs> but then, you know, we it, we were sort of the plucky underdogs mm. and suddenly we started knowing the rules and getting a bit better and getting a bit more confident. And there was dizzy scenes in Central Park the day that we beat Kinky Boots, <laughs> who were the second worst team in, uh, in Broadway show league history. But it was brilliant. It was... Uh, I, I really loved trying to learn a new game at the age of you know, 44 or whatever I was at the time. And um, our best player, because I, I, for some reason I was the manager of this team and um, I put a thing on the notice board at the theatre. So is anyone interested in, because it's all, anyone who works within the theatre is, okay. is eligible to play. And um, there's one of the, the cleaning ladies arrived at my door and uh, she's called Daisy, and she's Dominican. And she went, hi, I am very good at softball. And I went, 
Okay. She's got to be... She's got to be late 50s, I think, Daisy. She's our best player by a country... I think she used to play for the Dominican Republic. And she's very strict with everyone and is amazing. Wow. She's a brilliant pitcher and was really good at, at teaching us all that. She was very patient with all the hopeless British people. And it was a lovely thing to be mm. part of. It's, 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 we've spoken about um, the importance of competition in children's sport before, but we've also discussed the importance of it not being the main thing. When you first started playing, um, do you think that, because, you know, as, as you say, you struggled as a team initially, do you think that even though your goal, once you realised, you know, the standard was what it was and you were like, okay, let's be realistic about it. When you realised that your goal wasn't to win everything and that wasn't like, if we won, that was success and if we lost, that was failure. When you changed that sort of perspective, what was the impact it had on you guys as a in both as a softball team, but as a cast as well, were there, were there sort of overlapping bonuses to both that, you know, you had a really good rapport on stage and that showed in the softball, or you had a really good rapport that was built through the softball and that actually benefited the, the uh, play itself? I, I definitely think, you know, company morale is, is a hugely important thing, especially when you're, you know, going out as a team eight times a week yeah. in front of people and there was 40 in the cast which is a, that's a huge cast of people mm. all in a confined space most you know you share an awful lot of time with each other mm. um, so if you if there's fun stuff going on and you feel people are pulling their weight whether it be on a softball field or on the stage there's that's a that's a great feeling um, to be able to, to work as it work well as a unit. I mean, we were a pretty shoddy unit in Central Park, but um, everyone was trying their best and wanting to get better. Yeah, and you feel like you guys did progress. You feel like you improved. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. That's brilliant. That's brilliant because I know there's a lot to be said for for the sort of rather than worrying about the result, as in taking a instead looking at we were here. Let's just worry about where we're going to where we're going to go in relativity to in relation, sorry, to where we were. Yeah, and that, that improvement I think is quite a freeing as well, isn't it? Yeah, and also, you know, for for a lot of American people that they've been chucking baseballs around since they were kids, mm. it's, you know, be like us going to the park and playing football or whatever. You know, everyone's it's just culturally that's what happens. Whereas it's a whole different technique to catching it and I think that was my trouble when I came back and played my one very poor game of cricket Always I mean, on one broke hand. my finger <laughs> by thrusting my arm towards it but um, brilliant brilliant well yeah there's lots of parents for cricket and softball isn't there but they're certainly very are very different at the same time and then out in America um, you've obviously almost I don't know acclimatised to it to a certain extent to, to yeah. being out there I know you're going back on the 4th of Feb to, to rejoin the cast Um but I know that you've you've seen a couple of things that are different culturally um, with regards to well-being out mm -hmm. there in America. Um, so yeah, would you like to expand on on what you've seen and any thoughts you have on that? I just had a really it was really interesting being with some you know 24, 25 year old Americans 
Um, I mean, I think it maybe is specific to, to New York, but I, in the last few years, have taken a much more active part of my own mental health in terms of, you know, therapy and, and you know, various other techniques for, for looking after myself. And, uh, and there was a day that, I, you know, I asked one of the guys if he was going to go to the gym and he went, no, 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 I've got therapy today. And I was trying to imagine myself as a 24-year-old um, man being so open about therapy and I definitely had a cynicism about things like that mm. in my 20s and 30s and would be quite dismissive of it. Mm. But I think as I've got older and hopefully a little bit wiser and I, I loved their attitude towards taking care of themselves, mm. both physically and mentally. Mm. That the openness with which that was talked about, and the, you know the fact that people are very happy to go to a physiotherapist to get whatever aches and pains are sorted out, but less willing to go and do that to sort out their head. Mm. And it's hard being a grown up. Mm. It's hard being a child too. But it's, you know that we, everyone, in my opinion, needs a little bit of help. Yeah, and. You know, through some of the difficulties I've encountered as a as an adult, the best thing that I've ever done is is therapy, so, by far. So, what what has it um, given you? Because I know that different people take different things away from 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 you know therapy or any level of self help that they're sort of seeking. Um, what what has it done for you, either psychologically or physiologically or, or otherwise? To, help you day to day or also within your role? Uh, it's definitely given me tools to cope with adversity mm. and tools with which I can hopefully deal with things in a healthy manner because mm. I definitely you know, had, was prone to some dis more destructive behaviors and you know relationships and all of those sort of things don't always get it right just last night i was shouting at my daughter <laughs> and i was thinking you know you you said you know one of the questions that you ask is what's your definition of success and uh at halfway through shouting at poor old florence i thought this this is probably not success but uh <laughs> success is i would strive to you know, I strive to find alternative ways than shouting at my daughter, mm. and uh, and kinder ways to treat myself and other people. Mm. And uh, I mean, I know this is very personal stuff, so thank you for you know going into this. But is, has there been any takeaway tool that you think has been something that you know you can either share with other people and be like, this was one tweak that someone said to me once, or this uh, like in this instance, I now reframe this differently. Have you got any sort of examples at all uh, that you now use? I think, um, I think patience and uh, taking a moment is a hugely important thing. Someone used this acronym of THINK to me once, which if you want to react to something, is it thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, 
or kind. Mm. And if it isn't those things, generally, shut up. Wow, that's a really and it's um it, and I've I found I found that very useful because if by the time you've gone through that checklist, most of the time, just go actually it's it, yeah no it's not it's not worth it, and it's solved me a lot of aggravation. You know, it saved me from a lot of aggravation in the you know in recent years. That's a really really, really useful thing. I think we'll. Uh, We'll definitely keep hold of that one ourselves, I think that's really useful. Um, on the sort of staying with it uh, in some ways with the sort of support and help, uh, but tweaking it slightly, um, we've spoken about uh, the role that you know other people supporting and other people being kind to each other has helped. Is there anyone, perhaps recently, perhaps when you were younger as a child or whenever in your life that you feel like anyone who has been a really good mentor to you or someone who has helped support you in any way um there's been a there's been an awful lot of people i mean i've I've a a big memory of a history teacher i had at school um called mr shiveras who was a lovely man and i you know i think i was struggling a little bit as a teenager and he would say, um, you can come and see me. And then I'd have to give him five pence. And he went, right, now this is a professional situation. So you're paying me, so I can't say anything to anyone else. I'm your therapist. And uh, I remember that was a, a massive kindness with his time and his compassion. Um, that's my earliest memory of that sort of kindness. And you know, I'm littered with people who've been ridiculously patient and kind with me and teachers and lovely old actors. And there's a whole raft of people who've yeah. given me advice. You know, sometimes I didn't quite appreciate it at the time. And hopefully as you go on, you go, oh yeah. Yeah, you were right, weren't you? It's quite annoying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any of those people who spring to mind now? As someone you're like, actually, you know what? You were right. I mean, my mum, you know, my poor old mum, you know, I, I wish, you, you know, I wish I could turn back the clock in, in that respect and go, oh, yeah. I wish I'd been more patient and kind. I wish I'd been thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary and kind with her. That's interesting. That's interesting. Similar to another podcast guest that we've spoken to, uh, Maureen O'Callaghan, and she said, if she had one message, it would just be to be kind. And yeah, and I th- I, that was very poignant for me. I think definitely, which is um, interesting. Um, we'll come back very quickly to we mentioned it earlier about success. Mm-hmm. Um, I know similar to the mental question, it is quite vague. It is quite uh, broad. Yeah, but I think that's the brilliant thing about success as well. It can be anything to anyone. Um, as best as you can, because it's, as I said, very difficult to hone it down to one uh, meaning, but what do you regard as success to yourself? Um, I think being able to take responsibility of myself, well, primarily of myself, um, you know, being able to take responsibility physically, emotionally, spiritually, 
financially, you know, I, I can pay my tax bill at the moment. I can, you know, I can heat and clothe my children. Um, that feels like a, a success. And being able to communicate in my relationships in, in as healthy a way as I can. And when I can't, being able to take responsibility for that too and being able to apologize without exception, you know, without saying I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm sorry, but is not a sorry, in my opinion. And, uh, and when I do, which happens regularly, um, I can hold my hands up and go, okay, and really try not to do that again. Mm-hmm. That's a very long-winded expression of my success, but that's what feels a success to me. No, I like that, and that's why we do long-form things okay. to allow for you know that that clarity. It really is you know beneficial for I think for, for the listeners. So complex great. complex questions you need complex answers. Mm-hmm. Simple as they do. Um, so as a parent. Um, has there been a role that you've seen either exercise or sport play in your children's lives? Yeah. I mean, I, my older daughter was very heavily into dance. Um, so she was constantly doing that. And, and I think my, I'm really hoping that the younger one is going to find that thing the equivalent of my cricket um, that will set her up for her future because my mum was quite a um, a sedentary person and and I definitely think that contributed to her ill health in later life and for me I'm the last few years I've very much got into being attempting to be fitter and actually enjoying running mm. but I'm, I'm only enjoying running because at the age of 40 someone showed me the technical aspects of how to do it I hadn't really ever been told how to run properly and someone took the time to do that and that, it opened up a whole world of endorphins <laughs> for me <laughs> and I would love that to happen for my younger daughter, for all kids really. Mm. I don't think having one lesson of PE a week helps at all. Mm -hmm. I'd love there to be much more time spent outside at school. My younger daughter's been at school in New York for a couple of years and they struggle for outside space Mm. in the middle of Manhattan, but I still wish they'd got out more. I would love schools to spend more time outside. And what do you think is it that has been a common denominator within you finding cricket and your and your first daughter finding dance? What 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 do you think it is that allows children to find their thing? Is it just potluck or do you reckon there are a couple of things you can try and channel in or is it just a matter of trying as many different things as you can? I think probably just trying as many different things as you can and then seeing what sticks. Um, the older one, you know, did most clubs you can do and just waited for the point 
when you'd either bought the instrument or paid for the uniform to then decide it wasn't for her. So that's, that's, uh, that's generally the point. But yeah, just keep going until you find, find something that you like and you're excited about. And you, you know, you want to go. I think it's similar to um, that idea of, I know sometimes you might, you know, that children play sport and they might not necessarily be enamored by it, but they might not be like, oh, I hate that. Yeah. Um, but there are some sports where children play, like we spoke about with the metaphor of the being hit with a shovel. Yeah. Um, there's that weird allure of sport, isn't there? That even if you say, for example, I, I, I hated rugby. I remember playing contact for the first time and I lasted about, we weren't even playing contact, it was with those pads. Yeah. And that was enough for me. I was like, right, I know this is all spongy and all protected, but I'm out. Um, sport has that allure that even if something like, like you're being rejected with the auditions, even if you get hit by that spade, it keeps you going back. Yeah. But I think, I don't know if you agree, but the, the more times you get hit with that spade, even if it is a bit of a sort of negative, you know, not necessarily negative, but a, not an enjoyable experience, I think it makes you want to go back and yeah. find that sport. And like say, Florence is is looking for that and, and trying to find that. And hopefully the more she tries, the more she'll be able to get there. I, was, it's, I never realised with running is you actually need to run for about a mile hmm. before you get that rush mm -hmm. and you've got to put the work in for that mile before you start getting the good stuff yeah. and I you know I'm a bit annoyed that it took me that long it took me 40 years to get to that point of just do it do it for a mile and then you'll get it commit to it and um and, and you said you got some tips on it but what, what physiological changes did you make to run in a more, you know, a, a better way. You, lifting your chest, using your arms, I, I was very, you know, hunched over. It was all, the, all the effort was being put in the wrong place. Mm. Using your bum, lifting your chest and using your arms and keeping your, your face relaxed. Suddenly opened up a whole new world. I know for lots of people can just run. Mm. It wasn't something that I could do. Listen, I'm not, you know, I'm not fast by any means, but I can do it and get round and enjoy it. Yeah, perfect. I mean, a big thing that we tend to do when we go into different schools, one, one of the things I do is I teach children to run on the balls of their feet, which is just a game changer because there are so many heel runners mm -hmm. and like the knee injuries and other things that come from that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the physiology, physiological you know, difference of knowing how to run to be able to go for that distance is, you know, something that we take for granted. It's like, oh yeah, kids, they'll, they'll know how to run. It's like, yeah, no. I don't think they will. <laughs> well, I didn't. Yeah. 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 So it's a really interesting bit. Yeah. Similar to what we were talking about earlier with the whole uh, exercise and uh, opening your eyes. When you are, um, say if you're in the middle of doing a, a run of shows, for example, do you have a specific uh, exercise routine that you try and keep to, to or is it sort of an if and when you feel like it's good for your, you know, your, your body speaks to you basically, you need to get through it? I try and do something every day. And uh, I, I think I tend to get more drawn towards you know, high intensity classes because it gets, you, gets everything going. But I have to force myself to use more weights and try and do more stretching because 
of my age and I think that's you know in terms of trying to look after yourself you have to try and do all of those things and and cover all of that but I try and do something every day and often with work especially theatre work that involves warm-ups when you do for instance with Harry Potter there's a group warm-up every day and it might be a bit of yoga or you know it might be some um some tabata or or, or something like yeah. that that you all do as a as a unit which is always quite a nice thing to do and so if someone organizes that per, per show you yes yeah you'll have a you'll have a movement captain on a show like that who'll get paid an extra few dollars and to, they're part of the cast yeah they're part of the cast you know generally it's, it's quite a physical show so they're, they're generally dance trained okay that's really interesting and what's it like have you been for a run in Central Park yeah yeah yeah, yeah. is that would, would you say there's an element of say if you go for a run is there an element that the actual scenery and the environment of the run is important um, yeah although you know I have enjoyed running on treadmills as well yeah. you know I've, there's that, that can have you know, sometimes it's, it feels a bit better for your knees. Um, gives you a little bit less impact. Um, but yes, there's there's not. If you're in a place like Central Park, it's really exciting. Yeah. But I've got quite into park run recently. Do you know about park yeah, run? Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine's involved with that organisation, and he's said that there hopefully will be, because New York's never had one. Um, so they're hoping to start one up in the summer, That'd be amazing, which would be great because it obviously started in Bushy Park. In Bushy Park, yeah. Which is coming back to the whole like importance of the scenery and everything. Um, do you ever run in Bushy? Because I know I I, te- I think I take Bushy for granted personally. Yeah, I run in there and I just feel like there is so much value in just the nature of it. Do you find yeah. running around Bushy's a definitely. I mean, it, it you know there's a lot of um, lot of firsts for me Bushy Park. <laughs> I won't go into all of them. Uh, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I used to go and you know smoke cigarettes in Bushy Park, and uh, and now I'm running around it. Mm. It's um, first place to play cricket. You know, it's a it's an amazing place. My first park run. It's a it's brilliant. Uh, it's I mean for those people who don't know where it is, I mean, we're in Richmond Borough, so Bushy Park is a rural park within that, and it's. It is something that I think locally we do take for granted, and you know you've got to check yourself every now and again and be like, there are deer here. There are, That's you know, always this. fun when you play cricket at Hampton Hill, and we're all so used to the deer just marching across, yeah. and people come and freak out. <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? When the op are just yeah. like, there's deer. Going on? What's going on? Yeah. Just deer. Don't worry Don't about worry. it. <laughs> so, um, slightly changing gear um, again about. Um, the feeling of potentially overwhelm. So whenever you're feeling overwhelmed or, I know we've touched on a couple of things already so far um, around overcoming it. Um, do you benefit, are you the sort of person who benefits from making lists? Are you the sort of person who benefits from any sort of daily routine around anything along those lines? Can you know, or, or maybe is there a, a, an example of a time where you've recently felt felt overwhelmed and then how did you come back or how did you reframe or anything around that? Um, I, th- I think, you know, with therapy and various other stuff, it's I'm getting better at, is there anything I can do about this? 
is there is there something positive that I can do about this? Because there's lots of things that I have no, we talked about earlier, you have no control over. Yeah. You know, if someone drops your catch, mm. um, you have no control over that. So in essence, it's not something you should worry about or, um, or be fearful of. Uh, and letting go is quite an important thing. I'd love to be, I'd love to be better at meditating mm-hmm. um, and sitting quietly. That's, I have ambitions to do more of that. So is that something that you sort of dip into every now and again when you've got time or is that something you Yeah, I, I, I did read something once that you, someone, it would be great to have half an hour a day sitting quietly with no distractions unless you're really busy in which case you should take an hour <laughs> which is yeah you know we can get all caught up with I'm really really busy I'm really really busy you know and I would always when I wasn't exercising would always use the excuse that I haven't got time mm. there's always time to look after yourself for a little bit mm. you can make that time get up an hour earlier or yeah. whatever or do something at lunchtime I think we're really good at making excuses for doing things that challenge us because mm. I know you meditate mm. so when we go to the gym um, I we spent the last 10 minutes and I spent the last 10 minutes on the treadmill looking over at Tom enviously and it's sort of like zen mode because I, I know in myself I haven't taken anywhere near I, like so I, I would love to be able to be better as well and I should and I will work harder at it but what do you find are the benefits to meditating because I know you meditate every time we're in the gym for about 10 minutes yeah so I started trying it I mean I so before I went into teaching um, I worked with a part of a company who was about mindfulness and all that sort of thing and then like through Maureen who we're going to have on the podcast um, and all of that was a part of me understanding that it was a thing and blah, blah, blah. And the back end of my psychology degree, I did it all on like third year. It was all positive psychology and mental well-being. So for me, but the, I've, I've, I've dipped in and out and dipped in and out and dipped in and out because like you, it's not easy. It's not like the sort of thing you go, oh, close your eyes and it's just like popcorn, thoughts in your head, thoughts in your head. And you're just like, people are saying, you've got to try and this, that and the other about getting rid of thoughts. It's all about being still and, and all that sort of thing. But then I got, got some really good advice, which was, the point, the point of it, more so at the start, but, but also as, as, as you carry on, is not about the rate of how many thoughts come into your head. It's just the process of there's a thought and just let it go away. That's the real thing you're practicing. It's not actually about going, got to be nothing, and every time something comes in your head, you're annoyed about it. Yeah. It's about let go of that thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's the journey of getting there and you know I think it, it's we all want to be good at everything yeah. and I think meditation is one of those things when we all envisage ourselves you know cross-legged at the top of a mountain yeah. at one with the world and feel like we need to I'm not there yeah. yeah but I did come to one meditation thing and they said okay we're going to now spend 20 minutes um, in a group of, you know, group meditation of everyone being quiet. 
It was the longest 20 minutes. Of, I thought, surely, surely this has got to be over. It was really hard. Mm. And that showed me that uh, you're not really good at this yet. Yeah. You need a bit more yeah. work to do. Yeah. Um, something we haven't touched on yet. Um, we've spoken about you going back to America and whatnot. When you travel, yeah. is there anything that you do that helps you? Because I know when I travel and I've had the absolute pleasure family of traveling with you, um, <laughs> it, it must drive my parents insane, but it drives me insane. But I, 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 I don't dislike traveling, but it has its stresses. Do you have any routines um, that when you travel, for say for example, you're, I don't know how often you are going back and forth, but if you are flying about, any routines that you go, yeah, I need to make sure I do that when I fly or? I mean, if I could always fly on my own, that would be great. <laughs> Flying on my own, on yeah. your own, is is so so easy. Mm. Don't have children. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, see, I, one of the things I used to smoke, and I think one of the greatest joys about no longer being a smoker is is plane travel. Because mm. as a smoker, you, I spent the whole time going, when when's the next time I can have one? When's the next? And the the freedom of going into an airport and not having nine cigarettes on the bounce because you know you're not going to have one for another 14 hours or whatever. And that constant tension throughout being on a flight and can I get away with vaping in the toilet and all of that nonsense. So... Not no longer being in the prison of uh, of smoking is amazing. Mm. So and I sort of revel in that every time I get on a plane. Yeah, because I find when getting on a plane, um, you have a lot of amount of time where you don't have those usual distractions that you usually do. Yeah. So one of them is if if you're talking about smoking, you know, you know you cannot smoke. One of them, for example, is I was on a flight recently, and my phone died. Yeah. And the uh, electronics on the plane work put as in the uh, entertainment systems yeah. so everyone is in effect unless you've got a book is sort of right this is me now for the next however long um do you when you're actually on a flight or like I, I, do you think there's parallels basically i'm trying to get at between having that freedom and if we go back to meditating of just ha- being able to put a time side you see yeah. do you, uh, there's the more you've done your acting, the older you've got, do you find there's actually a lot to be said about putting aside more time? And not being contractual just to as go, well. Yeah, so just to go, this amazing. is my time, basically. I'm quite sad that they, you can now get Wi-Fi on, on planes. Because mm. there's some there's a joy in that. Yeah. A friend of mine, he, he works in property and he was travelling with his family to Canada and he got off the flight and he opened his phone and the first email he read, there was some massive crisis involving lots of people. And he went down the whole thread of this, these emails. And by the time he got to the end, whatever that crisis was, had all been sorted out. Mm. And if he'd been on the phone, he'd have been in the maelstrom of trying to sort out all of this stuff. And it feels like, life's a bit like that sometimes just you don't have to get involved and then it will sort itself out mm. so I do enjoy that aspect of, of it certainly flying and uh, and hopefully 
The idea of being sat next to someone on a plane with them talking about whatever meeting they've got coming up, it's bad enough on a train, but yeah, that would, I hope that doesn't happen. And, and you said, you know, you used to smoke. Is that, how did you go about the process of changing to, to either not smoke as much or stop smoking altogether? I just, I, I had to have a very expensive gum operation, which was excruciatingly uncomfortable, really expensive, all caused by smoking. Mm. And I, you know, I've been waiting to have an epiphany about smoking for years, but I, didn't, I hadn't really wanted to. Mm. And I think it, it all has to come from you. I mean, lots of people had said to me, oh, you shouldn't smoke. But I think as human beings, as soon as someone says, you shouldn't do that, we have, we're obtuse and go, well, I'm going to, just because you've said, that I shouldn't, mm. and the when people when people stopped telling me what I should be doing was the moment I actually decided I think I want to do this, and it was really easy. I just decided I didn't want to do it. And you just went cold turkey from that day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So did you? So physiologically, were there lots of urges to fight, or was it quite useful no. when that you were like? you know what I want that and that was it I just made a decision and ate carrots carrots someone said to me take cut up lots of carrots and you know if you so I spent about a week eating quite a lot of carrots and then I thought I don't need to eat carrots all the time it once had made my mind up Mm. it was really easy double bonus stop smoking and start seeing in the dark as well (laughs) there you go good week for you yeah very good week (laughs) Brilliant. All right. I think we're now ready for some quick fire. Okay. Or, or quicker. I mean, they're, they're never that quick. Yeah, they're never that quick. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are quicker than others, aren't they? Um, and also, we've had loads, loads of questions from um, people who are subscribers to the channel already and things right. like that. Um, like I said to you earlier, I think there's a big overlap between teaching, coaching, and also acting. Lots of actors used to be teachers or teachers yeah, just in yeah. acting or vice versa so there's there are a lot of uh, things along those lines um, I think I'm going to start with what change of mind have you undergone in recent years which has had the most positive influence on your life um, I think as I touched on earlier but I think my cynicism about therapy and, and uh, self help and what, how recent are we talking then? So has that been uh, in the last year or a couple of years? I'd, uh, I'd say, I'd say five years. Mm. Perfect. Interesting. Like um, we've spoken about Paul the actor. We've spoken about Paul, the cricketer and softball player. Um, what have what have you found to be the biggest challenge of being the manager of the softball team? That one single thing that's like, oh. as, a, as a manager slash coach, this is the one thing I struggle with the most. Um, ego. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because you'll always get someone that wants to do everything. You're never going to make everyone happy. Someone always wants to be doing what they're doing. Um, and then 
So the second year, someone else was manager. And I loved it. I just like just <laughs> yeah, you you deal with it. Yeah, you yeah. just in the corner, just yeah. watching this game. Yeah, you enjoy it. That's great. Yeah. I'm just yeah. gonna play. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do. So that. getting yourself and other people to realise that actually pers- people's personal potential like needs are trumped by what's best for the team, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I also think I've definitely, I think uh, something I I used to do, I used to take on far too much responsibility in terms of other people and, you know, their emotions and whether they're up and their business and gossip. And and I, I think taking a step back from involving myself too much in other people's business has uh, has greatly helped my own serenity yeah. <laughs> frankly That's interesting do you um do you keep up to date with the news in any way in particular certainly not as much as i did i used to listen to news radio all the time i listen to podcasts now mm. um but not i don't watch 24-hour news i don't i don't think it's necessary I, d- I will I look at the BBC news website um, periodically but certainly not as much like, yeah. and it's been such a freeing sort of like headspace no short term sort of like fight or flight response mm-hmm. to every single thing I'm seeing and like like I think you've been saying as well the whole thing of just coming away from other people's problems yeah and coming away from having to deal with all of these situations if it's on the phone I mean I I did have a couple of friends when I was in America going don't come back all anyone talks about is Brexit (laughs) it's all everyone talks about which so I'm quite I came back and it was still you know Brexit bonkers Uh, but I'd missed I'd missed a significant chunk of of Brexit bonkers Mm. Um, I I still had quite a lot of uh, Trump bonkers going on and uh, that's inescapable working in the arts in New York. Yeah. But, um, but I definitely not bombarding myself with constant 24 hour news has helped me massively. Brilliant. Jack? Um, what advice do you hear in your profession that is often given that you disagree with? There's no such thing as a small part. That was um, that was something that one of the teachers at drama school told us. Yes, there is. If you're man at bar, <laughs> be man at bar. Do your job. Um, you know, the, we we don't all have to shine all the time. Um, so that was terrible advice. Mm. Because yeah, you know, everyone needs a moment to shine, and hopefully, you know, with the right director, particularly in a in a play, people will get those opportunities. But you need to know when it is your moment, and when. I, I, I mean, I saw a play, a three-handed play. I'm not going to name the people in it. There was a black playing the main part who was really good, and then it was a very quiet scene with the two other people in the play which was a beautiful scene. And he was at the back of the stage, still crying. And you thought, mate, stop crying. This is their bit. It's just infuriating. Um, 
So, because, and he had a big part. He had plenty of time to shine. So, it's not your bit, yeah. basically. Know, it, know when it's your bit. Yeah, that's interesting. Keep your ego in check. Oh. Not every part is. Yeah. I've got to be. Yeah. Everyone's attention's got to be on me all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do your job. Perfect. Um, books. What is the book or books that you have gifted anyone else the most? Is that something that... Uh, uh, I've, I gave I read a, uh, Russell Brand wrote a book called Recovery mm. which I found really interesting it's his you know take on there's on the 12 steps that he went through um, from his addictions um, and I I gave that to to someone because I thought it was a really interesting read um I think, you know, giving the Roald Dahl books to my children was, it was such a massive part of my childhood. Um, and giving those to them has been a nice thing. I do, I read quite a lot of audio books. Mm. Mostly, they're generally either about the SAS or serial killers in London. Um, I've not gifted any of those, uh, <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that's that's it I, at the moment. Perfect. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Nice one. Um, this being in Broadway, I'm sure you know you come into contact with some amazing, amazing, amazing people. Um, no matter how uh, you know well known or little known they are, but when was the last time you were Starstruck. I don't. I don't really get starstruck by actors because mm. I get more. I think I get more starstruck by sports people, right? Because okay. it's not. That's not what I yeah, do. Yeah. You know. I, Is there anyone specific that comes to mind? I think it's watching Tiger Woods play golf at the Ryder Cup was just standing next to him I, I, that was extraordinary Yeah, that was definitely the most amazing sporting event I've ever been to the Ryder Cup but there was I mean we've had quite a lot of quite a lot of fancy folk come and see Harry Potter I mean Tom Cruise was pretty amazing and he bought us all donuts and was lovely I mean, that's quite weird. Yeah. Meeting really famous A-list movie stars, it's quite weird. And all the people that come with them and... But it's, they're, they're, I don't know, I don't really get starstruck. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really a really good answer. Um, what is, we've talked about parenting every now and again, what is the best parenting advice that you received coming into it? And if you haven't got that, then maybe some advice that you wish you had received. Uh, <clears throat> I think, I think I wish someone had said, it's not that great. But the, particularly at the beginning, uh, my, my wife went back to work very soon after my youngest was born. And 
I found it really challenging and really isolating and people go isn't it amazing isn't it isn't it a wonderful thing and, and no I I've, I've I felt really frustrated I didn't know what this baby wanted I didn't have any experience of it I didn't I kept thinking I was doing it wrong I didn't want to go anywhere because there was so much stuff you know all the and I kept worrying that I wouldn't have the right stuff so just stayed indoors plus the fact there was you know that the majority of it was was mothers and I didn't want to discuss whether little Archie had started talking walking pooing whatever I didn't I didn't want to have those discussions with people and I found the first year really hard and not that enjoyable I wouldn't change any of it of course but I think there's a, there's a compulsion to talk about how great things are and to be how positive about it all. And actually, sometimes it's a bit. Mm. No, I think that's, that's a really good, good bit of advice. You know, a lot of people do go into, oh, we'll have kids and it'll be great. Yeah. But, the, you know, it probably will be great in, in certain parts, but having that forethought and forewarning of, there yeah. will be dark times. Yeah. Um, and you and, really I, and you will be a crap dad for quite a lot of it. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of advice is all is not always, but sometimes very. Okay, what's the advice I think they want to hear? Yes. And what is sort of palatable and really easy to digest? Yeah. And I think sometimes it is really important to hear honest, open advice that is you know my favorite my favorite acting advice that I ever got. I was, you know, I had a job, and you know, actors can be terrible old moaners. Even, you know, notoriously, you know, you're unemployed for six months, and yeah. you know, as soon as you get a job, people ask if they can have Saturday off. You know, and uh, I was moaning about something, and it was a really nice job. And this old actor went, "Darling, it's not fair, and don't be late." And that's, you know, I think. That's all right. Mm. I, I saw Tom Hanks won a, a Golden Globe a few weeks ago. and He said something along the lines of, you know, be on time, know your lines, and be nice to people, you know, which is a, which is a, version, yeah. a version of that. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good... Um, and I think Kathy Burke's version is be on time and don't be a... <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. you get the gist. You get the gist. Yeah, fair enough. So we've all got a version of it, but yeah. uh, it's not fair and don't be late. I definitely take them with me. Yeah, that's nice. That's cool. Um, if you only had one text, and this again is a broad and vague question, so yeah, any answer is a good answer here. Um, if you only had one text and it was going to go to every single phone in the world, what would you text on that on that message? Uh, put me down. <laughs> In what sense? Put it down. Yeah. yeah, perfect. That is liberating, isn't it? That's a great answer. Never thought about it like that. Never thought about it like that at all. Yeah. When I was t doing my dodgy parenting last night, was that's what I was in essence trying to say. I said it in a less patient. Mm. 
There's patience, honest, thoughtful, and kind. Right? And, then, and then you went think, Paul. Yeah, think, yeah. And you're, oh, right. Yeah. Lovely. No, it's a really, really good bit. I mean, I think distraction is so easy to just fall in the trap of. You know, it's that whole. Yeah, I mean, it is addictive. The whole psychology behind it, the dopamine hit that you're getting with the, you know, oh, someone sent me a text. I'm liked. I'm, you know, part of the. So yeah, no, it is toxic if you're not worried. You know, if you're not too careful about it. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're going to go into a couple of audience questions in particular. Mm-hmm. So these are questions that have come in from the outside, um, from our subscribers. So it says here. In many professions, the well-being of the staff is starting to become more of a focus within the management side of things. Yeah. Are you where where are you seeing that more? Is that more in America, more in England? And what is it that is being done about it or isn't enough being done about it? About welfare. Well-being, welfare, wellness in general, of, of you know, looking after the staff, the cast that the that, that people have. So already you've said about a movement person that yeah. comes in. Are there any other examples of that? Um, I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, the physiotherapy is, is provided um, if if you need it. Um, you could sign up for uh, a massage um, once every week or once every couple of weeks. Um, I mean, a lot of the time it depends on, you know, on budget. Mm. You know, if you're going to go and do a play somewhere that's not you know a commercial success they just haven't got the funds to be able to do that stuff um but you know they bring people they bring people in that obviously um me too has had a, a big effect in workplaces and there's lots of um, you you know compulsory the whole workforce has to attend these, you know, meetings and lectures about how to address people and how to um, how to discuss um, complaints and all, you know, procedure, which is I get, and that's something that's new and been brought in, and I'm lucky to work in a profession when there is an openness with which people can talk to each other, um, and sometimes that's tricky because it can make people uncomfortable because there's a certain um, uh, it feels like the rules are different sometimes Um, and we don't talk to each other in the same way that people who worked in the banking sector would talk to each other but we also have to have an awareness that that's not always appropriate and can make people feel uncomfortable but I, I love the way that the younger people I'm working with feel able to express themselves and express how they're feeling about something. It feels that we've come an awful long way and people aren't dismissed in the way that they might have once been. But at the same time, you know, there are times when it's not fair and don't be late. That's fine. Um, this has come from a, a couple of our subscribers and uh, friends of ours who are starting up in the in the uh, acting world and the drama world. Um, when, so if you, uh, for example, auditioned and you didn't get the role you wanted or whatever it may be, was there anything or is there anything you do to help you deal with that rejection? 
not really. I mean, other than <laughs> they've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. You know that that thing. Um, just can't get back on the horse. You know, it, it's sometimes if you've really sometimes the process you'll you know you'll audition for something and then you'll you'll have a, a recall and then you might meet the director and you know you the process can go on and on and on and on and on and then not to get it can be really hard and there's been a couple of times in my life when there's been a part that I've really wanted and I, and it's not worked out mm. and that's you know you have you've, you have to grieve for those a little bit but then you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to buy a ticket to the, to the lottery in order to, to, to be there really. Another one we got from the audience was about techniques or preparation that you do ahead of auditions in particular. I know earlier on we were saying that nowadays actually for you, it's a lot less in person and a lot more sending a clip. Yeah. Sort of of lighting out in a hotel room somewhere, (laughs) trying to do those sorts of things. Um, I suppose the, the question that these, these guys are after are more of the walk in the door kind of, you know, everyone's there style thing. Yeah. Are there any of those, are there any tips that you've got from back then or, or, or nowadays with the more on your own do, do some things? Are there any yeah. techniques? I mean, I, some people can learn lines really quickly. Um, and I'm not one of those people. And there's just no shortcuts to it. You just have to put the hours in of learning whatever it is. I mean, sometimes they'll send you, you know, 13 pages of scripts and go, you've got an audition tomorrow. And then you have to forgive yourself a bit and go, okay, I'm going to do the best I can. Maybe I'll do the first scene really well and the rest of it I'm going to read because I haven't got, Mm. I haven't been afforded that. I'm doing the best that I can do. And, uh, and I think you always know that. And there's definitely been times when I've not put the effort in. And unsurprisingly, you know, it doesn't work out. Likewise, there's been times I've worked really, really, really hard and still not got the job. Um, but it's all, it's knowing what, you know, it's taking responsibility mm. for, for your, I hate people talk, using the word craft, but, uh, you know, it's taking responsibility and you know when you haven't and it makes you feel rubbish. So you might as well just put it in and then you never know how it's gonna happen later on down the line. There's often been times, you know, for, say for a certain, a certain TV series, you audition for one part and then in the next season or later on in that season, there's another part and they'll just phone up and go, hmm. you, you didn't get this, do you wanna come and do this? So it's always worth putting a shift in, really. Not burning bridges. Yeah. yeah. Do you find there's, how hard is it to strike that line between under-preparing and not doing enough, but also over-preparing as well? So say if you have got those 13 pages you need to read, yeah. is there a point in that evening, the night before, you go, do you know what, like, I know that opening bit. Yeah. How hard is it to find that balance between, right, I've done all I can, I now need to actually probably get a good night's sleep or yeah, have a good meal. Definitely. No, my, my, my girlfriend is definitely an over-preparer, mm. definitely. And uh, it was only when I I saw her in action that I went, oh, wow, okay, that really is. But then to the point when it becomes, I, in my opinion, I, I wouldn't want to do that much. Mm. I'd be knackered. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it was a really random segue, but we ended up on stage in front of you a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, with <laughs> you both look lovely. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and part of the process that we underwent was. I mean, the amount of times that we went through that very limited and not, not even particularly scripted thing to, to run through as just the two ugly sisters was a huge undertaking for the pair of us. And so outside of our, not necessarily totally outside of our skill set, because we obviously present and orate and manage and, and coach children and teach. Um, but it, that link again, isn't there? Yeah, there is, there, is, there, is, there is a lot of overlap there. But yeah, for us, it was going through it so many, so many, so many, so many, so many times that come the end of it, we actually weren't that nervous no, before we going on stage, which was interesting. And that brings me to the next question, which was, have you ever had stage fright or have you ever experienced or been around others in that, you know, sort of like a supporting actor and like they've got it or anything along those lines? D definitely. I mean, I, I think, I think, most of the time, I used to get really nervous when I was younger because I didn't know what I was doing. And that's when that nerves are generally when you're unsure of what you're doing. And that comes from being prepared and the fact that you weren't nervous was because you'd run through it so many times. So you're used to, you know, it's polished. And the times of getting nervous are just generally when you're unsure of what you're doing. Have there been any bits of advice that either you've given other younger actors who've experienced that or anything or, or anything anyone said ahead of that? Or is it all just about just a case of like, you know, take the ego away from it, don't worry, it happens to everyone and prepare more? Or is there anything else that you could unpick there? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think giving a, like actors giving each other advice is, is, is tricky. It's uh, particularly when you're doing a play with each other. It's, it, actors giving each other notes is a definite, you're not allowed to do that. Right. That's, you, the director has to do that. So it can be a very sensitive area because otherwise it can end up as a bit of a free for all. Um, I think when you do witness someone with nerves, it happens sometimes with understudies because they've not had the experience of working with the the main cast they may have understudied we don't rehearse with the other understudies and their first time on and yeah but you try and be kind and open and help them through and you know you should know what you're doing more than they do so if they mess up a few lines sometimes it's great because it gives them it gives you a bit of a different rhythm to play with and uh i'm definitely tolerant of people being a bit nervous is totally understandable if people have put the work in. I'm forcing myself to do, well, I didn't want to, but my agent wants me to go and meet these people for a musical in America in a couple of weeks time. And I've not, I've not really done a musical audition for a long time. So I had a conversation with him the other day and when yeah, I don't think I really want. And he said, I think it would be a good thing to do. And I had to stop myself and went, oh, it's because you're a bit scared, isn't it? And that's why. So anyway, I've said I'd do it. I don't want to do it because I know that I'm going to be nervous because I'm, I'm out of shape. I've not done that for a long time. And I'm going to have to put the work in. 
which is annoying. <laughs> but it all pays off. Yeah, yeah it does. That does. Brilliant. Well, I feel like we've come to a nice pause there before we head out Play to the shed to yeah. get your three dart challenge. I might be nervous about that. Good. Yeah. Good. Well. That gives us more to talk about. And, uh, and uh, yeah, no, I'm excited about the next step. So we're going to pause it there and head outside to the shed. Perfect stuff. Nice one. See you in a sec. We hope you have got some value from our team talk. In order to see our three dart challenge, head over to tomajack.co.uk or check out the link in our show notes. Ciao for now.